Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Lena Dunham, and this is Women of the Hour. I am so excited to tell you that later this fall, we'll be coming back for a second season. We'll have twice as many episodes as the first time around, and we'll be exploring all new topics like faith and spirituality, solitude, aging. We'll even have an entire episode devoted to cats. Yes, the animal, not the musical. And if that doesn't ring your chimes in a major way, then my friend, this is not the podcast for you. We are cat freaks here, and we are proud. While you wait for season two, I wanted to give you this special episode sponsored by Clinique's Difference Initiative, an effort to inspire women around the world to make a difference in their own lives and the lives of others. We felt they were the perfect partners for Women of the Hour, and their sponsorship will help bring season two straight to your ears. Today, I'll be speaking with three amazing actresses, actors from across the globe. I just, I don't like calling female actors actresses because no one calls like a lady poet a poetess. Gina Rodriguez, Jessica Nkosi, and Erendira Ibarra. All these women are also passionate activists, which isn't always easy when you're a public figure, particularly one who's expected to look nice, say her lines well, and shut the heck up. According to the internet, I'm failing at all three of these things miserably. But don't we, as public figures, have a social responsibility to use our platform to listen, to amplify, and to speak out when we see injustice? It may not always be easy. Look at Jean Seberg, whose support of the Black Panthers in the 1960s led the FBI to request that she be neutralized. But today, I'm proud to speak with women who are not afraid to take a stand. For everything from education reform, to fighting censorship in their home countries, and misconceptions about disease. Women who are eager to use their gifts and their reach to make a difference in their communities and in the world. Our first guest is my wonderful buddy, Gina Rodriguez. Gina is the Golden Globe winning star of the CW's Jane the Virgin, and she looks like a Disney princess who could also uppercut you straight into next week. She's passionate about making education accessible for kids everywhere, no matter where they come from. Let's check in with Gina about how she makes her difference. I'm so excited to get the chance to formally interview you because I'm such a crazed fan who, like, doesn't want to harass you via text message all day. Please do that, though. (laughs) Can you? So great. I mean, I guess I want to start by asking you, I mean, you've had this sort of meteoric couple of years on Jane the Virgin where you've won and been nominated for all the awards and been on all the magazines and been had this exposure but I'm sure you got a lot of like what's this overnight success feel like but you've been like hustling pretty hard for a while haven't you oh 100% I mean I just turned 32 last week congratulations thank you and I went to NYU and you know when I hit Jane I had been hustling for 10 years and the like the beautiful thing about that is that, you know, my father used to always say, you know, it takes like 10 to 12 years to to um, accomplish any kind of goal in any kind of industry. You, you should give a career 10 to 12 years or, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to be a master. I'm very far from being a master, but it was that 10 year mark that I I finally got a role that I was empowered by, inspired by, wanted so bad and in love with and 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 then opened the doors to so many more opportunities. Did you come into it knowing okay, at the moment that I become visible, here's the message that I want to broadcast, or did in some way your visibility inspire your activism? I wanted to know about that journey. I grew up with activists. My parents were always in politics in Chicago. Um, 
whether it be campaigning for the local aldermen, just to make sure that they were involved in the community and how to change our community, because I definitely grew up in a low-income neighborhood. And the only way to get us out of there and get us seeing the world was my parents tried the best they could to make the world around us as beautiful as possible. So that was lovely. And my grandmother was is a huge activist. Free Mumia, she did walks for Free Mumia. She marched with Pablo Campo with Lolita Lebron. Like, she was always talking to us about being a voice for the voiceless and to fight for injustice. And I was surrounded by these giants that loved to use their voice to help others. And it, should they have a voice on any, you know, on any scale, they just were always willing to speak up. And that was very inspiring for me. But I would say that it happened. I did this film called Philly Brown that went to Sundance. And that time during my life where I could barely pay rent, you know, let alone go to Sundance, let alone get a stylist or a hair and makeup. I was like, yeah. where is this money going to come from? How do I participate in this experience or participate in this machine that says it has to look a certain way? And I am just not living that financial existence right yeah. now. I started to look inside myself and decide the kind of woman I wanted to be in the industry. And there were definitely a few monumental moments that helped me decide that. But it was that trajectory going from Sundance, the it girl, to being offered TV shows that were perpetuating stereotypes that I had to turn down and not work at all after Philly Brown. Because then you're being offered these roles that are like perpetuating every stereotype of a Latina woman that you don't want to push further. Yeah, because that was what I grew up in. And what I grew up in limited my perception of what I was capable of. So if I'm going to continue to do roles that perpetuate that limiting negative perception, She's fiery. She's pissed off. She's not she's not taking it anymore. Exactly. We look at any image. We are bombarded by images, but any image from a billboard to a magazine cover to a TV show to a film. And we find our relatability. We find where we exist. We find where we fit in. We find who looks like us. We find our identity to be validated. And that's that's. I mean, there are two parts to that. One is we have to start practicing self-love and teaching our children at a very young age how to accept the the body they've been given, the life they've been given, and how to make the most of their circumstance and create more opportunities. And then there's the other way of teaching them to navigate through this society and say, okay, that image may look like one image and I look like another and I am just as powerful and just as beautiful and just as strong and just as intelligent. So... For me, I just wanted to make sure that I was creating more of those images that hadn't been seen because because I knew what they did to me as a young girl. That being said, yes, I, I didn't look like Jennifer Lawrence. And yes, the opportunities weren't similar and yeah. the characters weren't available, quote unquote, available. So yeah. I just waited and I was patient. Wow. And um, and I discovered the kind of woman that I wanted to be and the kind of choices I was going to make. And ultimately, the story I wanted to tell my children one day. Or my nieces and nephews, or my friends, or my neighbors, yeah. or whoever would listen. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And as a difference maker, what have been the things that you've thought, I can make a difference in this, this is where my voice is best used outside of my character? Well, I mean, what's beautiful about difference makers is they let me really delve into something that breaks my heart, and that is the lack of equal education, especially for those in inner city um, neighborhoods like myself. If it wasn't for my parents taking us out of our neighborhood schools and putting us in either private schools or um, magnet schools, college prep schools, 
they knew the importance of getting an education, especially because we didn't come from money and we didn't have those resources. So it was all about us having the opportunities and the equipment, being equipped to pursue anything that we had dreamed of. You know, my two older sisters, one runs a private equity firm, the other one's a doctor. Like, they're monsters. They're fantastic. If you had seen the conditions that we had grown up with, very challenging, I think people would find it beyond, you know, magical that all three of us were able to pursue our dreams. That is derived from the fact that we got a good education. Because the girls that and the boys that I grew up with in our neighborhood, sadly, were limited. And I think that's cultural. I think that goes further back when you have a family that you need to help contribute to the family. You become a contributing member to the family at an earlier age, which is predominant in Latino families. Um, The desire or the push for uh, secondary education is not that great. So it's about going into those neighborhoods and helping create awareness as to why that is a necessity. Not only that, helping create um, equal education. So like the thing is, is that we grew up very challenged, but my mom always bought clinic. I mean, I have like the greatest memory of the little like opaque green soap it. dispenser holder and it felt so elegant and classy and regal and so to me it was just kind of a serendipitous that Clinique is who I was ending up working with but even greater the reason why I aligned myself with such a phenomenal brand was because they were trying to talk about something greater than beauty or where beauty stems from yeah. and the ability to use that beauty with me I believe it comes from your character to create a difference. So they're definitely allowing me to have a greater platform to talk about equal education and to go back into those neighborhoods with, you know, my foundation, my sister, my sisters and I have a foundation. What's your foundation called? We Will Foundation. Amazing. We will help. We will serve. We will be kind. We will be hopeful. So um, that is our desire because we understand how lucky we were. So lucky. And I'm talking about the same circumstances as everyone else. And if we did not have my parents and their desire to get us all an education, 100% hands down, we would not be where we are today. Where do you think that desire in your parents came from, that sense that, like, this is what matters and we're looking around and we don't want to match the set of circumstances of the people around us. I think that's exactly what it was. You know, neither of my parents graduated from college. My sister, Evelise, was the first in our family. I think both of my parents were very aware of of what limited them in their workplace. I very much so saw my parents rise in their own personal journeys, in their own paths, and I saw them do that through hard work, and I saw where they came from. I saw that, and I knew they didn't have a college education, and yet they were still working in that just diligent hard work and... What I think it is is that my parents never made it so that education was somewhere we wanted to rebel. Like, education was for us. My dad would always tell me, like, you know, you can do poorly. I mean, I'm going to be all right. Yeah. (laughs) I got I'm I'm done. I'm going to be all right. But, like, are you? That's yours. It doesn't belong to me. Your education doesn't belong to me. It's yours. Only you own it. But also no one can take it away from you. So own it. So get it. Your dad was a boxing referee. Yes. I am obsessed with your relationship to boxing. I want to know, just because you're the first person who's ever made exercise look fun to me, and that's not an exaggeration. So I wondered if you could talk a little about, like, what role that plays in your life, what role that pl- like what role that plays in your toughness and your physicality. So I started boxing when I was super young um, because of my father, obviously. We all did, all, all of my siblings. And we all were taught how to defend ourselves. Wow. We were always taught not to hit first. Should we need to defend ourselves, fine. We would, we're never allowed to hit. 
anyone. We weren't allowed to hit each other. We weren't allowed to argue. It was like, that was like a huge rule in our family. Wow. You be good to the people that you love and that love you. You do, you are not mean to those people. You use this punch only for like a man in the street who you don't know. Who is trying to hurt you. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. This isn't something to use at school because somebody like Ever. was a little sassy. Exactly. Ever. On the contrary, we were taught that if someone's sassy, they must be in pain themselves. And we were taught that at a very early age. What a good lesson. I know. And it's so true because I remember being young and someone, they used to call me names because I was very tiny, very tiny. So I, I mean, I was a late bloomer. I didn't get my period till 16. Yeah. I, you know, I still am waiting for my boobs to come in. I feel like, the same way, girl. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, super late bloomer. And I used to get bullied a lot. And so when I specifically remember this one bully, Araceli. Sorry if you're out there. I love you, Araceli. You know, she was bigger, tougher girl. And she said something nasty to me. And I turned to her and I was like, who hurt you? <gasps> and I, I must have been like 10 years old. But I specifically remember because I got, we got sent to the office and my pa- the parents came and everybody came. And I just kept saying, like, she must be in pain because she's trying to hurt me. <gasps> Oh, is it crazy? What an enlightened child. I mean, I don't know. I'm not. Your, not, your but, parents must have been so proud. But And so that was something that they always taught us, is that if somebody wow. is hurting you, they must be in pain. Because hurt people hurt people. Of course. My mom literally told me to go back to school and tell a bully that she was a big asshole. And then I got sent to the principal's <laughs> office, and then I was crying and saying... Like, my mom told me to say it, and they called my mom, and she was like, I did tell her to say it. So this is a huge lesson to my family. <laughs> no, no. Um, I love that, though. Yeah, mama. Yeah, mama got, protecting yeah. you. Yeah. Mama bear. Pissed off Jewish Long Island mother. You don't want to— No, you don't want to mess with her. No, you don't. No. So then, so then we, like— we all learned how to box. I was, I felt very strong growing up for sure. And then I got thyroid disease when I was 19. Oh, wow. And then it turned into Hashimoto's, and it was— really difficult to manage my weight but boxing I started to get angry at it because it wasn't really reversing what the Hashimoto's was doing with my metabolism yeah so then there was a point of in my life I would say 19 20 years old where I started to really discover my beauty because it felt yeah. like it was fighting me and I wanted to be in this industry where the only way you're a lead actress is if you're a waif and you're blonde hair and blue eyed and it just felt like I everything was just so against me yeah. so then there was like that journey of beauty and discovering who I like my beauty really derives from my character and who I am because I was so upset at the fact that this disease was going to stop me from accomplishing my goals because a society, you know, an industry tells me that I have to look and be a certain way in order to accomplish the things that I had dreamt of when I was a kid. So once the rebellion of that and the really rejecting of of that happened, then I started to embrace my beauty and embrace those images that I saw that I didn't look like because they were just other versions of beauty. And so was I. So now it's not about those pounds or that weight or if the jeans are tight or if they're looser at another time. It's about feeling strong, feeling beautiful in makeup and without makeup and taking pictures on the street with fans in makeup and without makeup. And, you know, I always say that when I look at your face, it's like just like confetti flying out of a cake. Like it just makes me so happy. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the radio, so you can't tell she looks remarkable. Gina, I could talk to you all day. This made I me really so happy. I want to talk to you all day. Well, we're going to do it soon. We're going to okay. go on like a vacation that no one else. I'm not kidding, by the way. Okay, good. Love you. Love you.
Next up is Erendira Ibarra. Erendira starred in the Netflix series Sense8 and the Mexican series Camelia La Tejana? I'd love to tie in the bad pronunciation to Gina's quest for quality education and blame it on my Spanish teachers, but my teachers were incredible and I have no one to blame but myself. Shout out to Miss Melnikova, the Russian who taught me Spanish. Maybe it was all a huge mistake. Erendira is also a fierce advocate for justice and love in Mexico and around the world. She is as charismatic as a cult leader, but with way better politics and hair. So let's hear from her now. Have I done an okay job pronouncing Qué your name? Que bonito. Yes, you did. <laughs> that was very beautiful. I'm Thank so you. glad. I was like, if I can just semi-nail this, I'll be so proud. It's such an amazing thing to be here with you. You're an actress. You're an advocate. But I wonder how you would describe yourself to our listeners. I describe myself as a work in progress and and a warrior. So making it work. Amazing. She's sending all. <laughs> she's sending a lot of warrior energy to me right now. So I wanted to start by having you talk about your path a little. I know that you were raised between the United States and Mexico. Your father was in the entertainment industry, and so it took you a fair amount of time to realize that that was what you wanted to do too. And yeah. I wondered if you could give us sort of the most basic sort of timeline of your career and what gets you inspired to do what you do. I was raised between San Jose, California and Mexico City. My father was a war correspondent for 12 years before he became um, a producer in Mexico. It sounds simple to say that I lived between the United States and Mexico, but you don't understand that when you realize that you live between California, which is the 11th po- you know, economic potency in the world, and Mexico City, which is the second biggest city in the world and also a third world country. Yeah. So there was a lot of emotional and, and spiritual colliding constantly that I guess made my perspective broaden and that made me want to tell stories that weren't as simple. And also because my, my dad never told simple stories. So um, when I decided that I wanted to be an actress, a friend of my father told me, she's like, why don't you do what you've always done? Why don't you tell stories? If that's our vocation, the storytelling will come through whatever we do, even if we try to hide from it. And I tried to hide from it. I did everything. I did wardrobe. I carried cables. I tried to get away from it. And it chased me all the way down to my reality, my now. Like, this is it. I don't know what I would do if I didn't tell stories. I don't know how I could have found my reason to live if I didn't live through other people's lives. I read this beautiful quote that you said you wanted to redefine the word justice to mean love. And I wondered if you could talk about that because we think about justice as almost this like cold concept of like the facts and how do we shift the facts to the side of righteousness. And you're talking about it as a much more emotional thing. And I wondered if you could expound on that. Cornell West has a phrase that says that never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. Mm. I live in a country where impunity and injustice is the norm. Yeah. When someone says justice will be made in Mexico, we get scared because justice in Mexico means the authorities are going to impose whatever they think is right over our own souls and over our bodies. And that's scary. And so it it puts you in like it puts everything in perspective, right? Because it makes you think, wait a minute, let me look up the definition for justice, righteousness, equity. Okay, it says respect for others, but none of it says love. And in the end, that's all it is. It really is love. Because what is respect for another person? Love. What is equality? Love. What is solidarity? Love. Wow. So I'm thinking, you're a little kid and you're in school. You're learning the word justice. Now, 
if we sit down a kid and we say, justice is love, what type of adult would that person grow up to be? Reading about the work that you've done with freedom of speech, I think it's so easy. I know growing up in the U.S., you know, there's plenty of stuff that we deal with, but freedom of speech is something that we've basically been guaranteed. You can get in tr- you can get chastised, you can get in trouble, but there are no real consequences to saying whatever the hell you want. And you've done this remarkable work empowering people around freedom of speech, and it seems like a lot of that must be influenced by your life in Mexico and seeing the consequences to people that you care about when they speak loudly about an issue. And I wondered if you could talk about what it means to be an advocate for free speech and the fact that I think so many people of our generation take it for granted with the internet and with the interconnectedness of everything that that is our right. Growing up in two countries, you have these two concepts of freedom of speech, right? I got to Mexico and I remember in my high school, one of the reasons why I got kicked out, (laughs) organizing a little debacle because I thought we needed to protest about a certain situation. And and all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, you can't do that here. It's like, well... Why can't I do this? Why can't I demonstrate that I'm not happy with the history books? Like, why why can't I say that? Well, because this is Mexico. And it was so hard for me to understand that in one place, I w- it was okay for me to say that I didn't like something, even though I got yelled at or said, you know, well, we like it, so stop whatever you're doing. And then in the other place, not even being able to say anything, just because we're in Mexico. Wow. The way I see it is, lo veo como un reto. I see it as a, oh, really? You're going to tell me I can't say anything? Because I grew up here. I grew up knowing that I can speak out and that you have to handle it. Yeah. How can you keep quiet? Like, that's something that I always want to ask people when I'm sitting in front of them in Mexico. It's like while they're in, you know, their really cool, nice little hipster restaurant and having their perfect chai with soy milk. (laughs) And I just want to sit there and go like, why can't you be this and go out there and say this is not fair? Why does it have to be like, oh, those that stand up for people and then us, the cool people? Like, why can't it be cool to think about others? Apathy is not cool anymore. And apathy, what is apathy? Fear. Yeah. It's fear of being involved, fear of creating a voice, because what happens when you create a voice and what happens when you get involved? People try to tear you down. Yeah. But that's what we're here for. We're warriors. We are, we are made to resist. We are resilient. I know myself, and I know that when I censor myself, when I'm quiet with what I feel and with my emotions and my heart, I become profoundly unhappy. And I am very hard on myself. I believe that acting is my vocation, but my reason to live is the other person that's in front of me. Do you feel like acting has sort of created the platform for you that's allowed you to do the rest of this? Of course. Of course. I remember just walking down a red carpet and turning on having, you know, five cameras and three microphones and everyone going like, what do you think about gay marriage? And, I, and the only thing that came to my mind in, at that second was like, oh, what a beautiful opportunity. Yeah. Now, what do I need in order to answer this message correctly, in, in order to send this message correctly? One, think before I speak. Two, love, 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 and love. And three, be honest with my emotions and with what I think it's okay to mess up. It's okay. They're probably going to, you know, take it out of context 
edit it out, <laughs> do whatever they want. Don't it I doesn't matter. It. I tried. I was there. I had a microphone in front of me, a camera in front of me, and I did not miss the opportunity to say that I love my country and I love you and I love you and I love everyone. And I want people to be able to speak out freely. I want people to think freely. I want, I want solidarity to be the new, the new thing. I wish everyone could see her because she's like, it's like being at like a Tony Robbins seminar, but way better. <laughs> she's just so inspiring. And if you think about the next 10, 20, 30 years of you as a difference maker looking like, like what are your dreams for, for both how you'll enact that as an actor as an activist, as a woman, like what message do you want to send to the people who are watching you so closely? More than a message, I think I'd want to do an invitation. Come walk with me. Like, you know, it's 20 years. You, you never know what can happen. You never know who's going to be president. You never no, know. You don't. You never know how that's going to affect your life because in the end, we always think that change comes politically, but it really does come socially and it doesn't matter who is in power. Sometimes... Like in Mexico, you know, we have the the worst possible outlook as who could be our president. And all of a sudden that creates the possibility of a social movement that never existed because we weren't tired enough. Yeah. Because because it didn't come to our doorstep. It didn't hurt close enough. Yeah. I want to invite people to speak out. I don't care if they agree with my opinions or not. I don't care if I'm too progressive or leftist. I'm not talking yeah. about ideologies. Ideologies were created in a world that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. This is about creating a new ideology. This is about creating a society based on solidarity. It doesn't matter if the system is capitalist, socialist, whatever these obsolete ideologies that don't even fit our economies anymore yeah. uh, are. What matters is that we don't, we don't ignore each other. We push for each other. When something's not right for one, it's not right for all of us. El Che Guevara said it. We have to feel in the most profound sense of our soul every injustice anywhere in the world as if it were our own. It turns out my dream was having a beautiful woman quote Che Guevara to me across the table. Who knew that that was all I wanted out of life? (laughs) And, you know, I wanted to know if as an actor you felt sort of the beauty standards of the U.S., of Mexico come down on you and how you've, I mean, you're obviously stunning, but you clearly, like, as you said, you walk your own path. You're covered in rad tattoos. You're doing your own thing. How have you found the strength to do that? And have you felt those same anxieties that so many women feel of trying to, like, fit into, and especially because you're working between these two cultures that each have intense but different standards about what a woman should and can be? I was a cheerleader in high school, and I, I wanted to be with the jock, and and I and I was miserable in every single sense. Every time I kicked my leg up and said, "Yeah, go Warriors," <laughs> I hated myself. Yeah, and I was so profoundly sad and upset, and and that sensation. I always say that social networks are high school all over again. Yeah, if we allow ourselves to play into this game which is a choice, it's completely a choice, then we will put our fingers down our throats, cry if we're not a size two. It messes with our brains, but it messes especially with our souls and with our hearts. I'm sick and tired of it. I remember my little sister, she's um, she's 22. Huge fan of yours, by the way. So nice. Huge fan. She's a screenwriter, a producer, and an actress. I remember repeating things to her 
I don't want to get choked up right now. Repeating things to her that I said to myself constantly to make her fit into a world that wasn't built correctly. And I remember saying, you know, you have to lose weight and you're never going to work if you're not, you know, if you're not skinny and, you know, you really need to pluck your eyebrows and you need to do this and you need to do that. And it sickens me to think that I did that to her because I was doing it to myself. And I and I still do. Like right now, making the choice to become pregnant or not, depending on what am I going to do if I get pregnant? What do you mean, what am I going to do? I'm going to become an incredibly amazing, better actress, woman, and person. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And that's okay. And that's fun. And that's, okay, what if I gain weight? I gained weight. I'm happy. I truly believe that beauty is in the authenticity of the soul. And it's not that you find it immediately. It's that you're a work in progress and you're going for it and you're really reaching for it and you're healing yourself and loving yourself. There's a concept of radical self-love, radical self-justice, treating yourself with the same justice that you want to treat others. And and it's so necessary because this business is freaking hard. Ladies and gentlemen, I keep saying gentlemen in hopes there's one to two gentlemen listening. Erin Dira Ibarra, I'll be thinking about this conversation for a long time. Oh, thank you. Last, we have Jessica Nkosi. Jessica is a South African actress starring in the hit show Isabaya. Jessica lost her father to cancer when she was a teenager, and since then she's dedicated herself to the fight against childhood cancer. She's brilliant, warm-hearted, and her voice is so beautiful, I said it as my text alert. Sorry, Jessica, but you're always with me now. I am thrilled to be here with my new best friend, Jessica. <laughs> and I'm going to have you say your last name because it sounds better. Jessica Nkosi. Nkosi? Yes. I was like practicing in the car, then I was like, I think I'm just going to ask her to say it because it's going to have an elegance coming out of her yeah. mouth. Jessica Nkosi. Jessica Nkosi. If I had to say it in my accent, like proper Zulu. <laughs> it's a... Nkosi. <laughs> well, I'm here with her. Since, since we're on the radio, I'm going to tell you that she's a stunning burst of light who walked into the studio and made me feel like I wanted to change my entire approach to what I look like in the morning. Um, she is an actor. She is a an activist. And she is the star of a South African television show that I'm going to have her tell the American audience about, if you're comfortable with it. Yes. Um, it's a Zulu show, Soapy, actually, called Isibaya. It's basically based around um, the Zulu culture, Zulu tradition, um, taxi violence. Can you define taxi violence? Um, I don't know if you guys have taxis, taxi here. I don't know. But you guys have the yellow cabs. Yes. And we have like taxis where 15 people sit inside. So, yeah, that's how that's the trans, uh, yeah, the normal transportation. And then so people own taxis and basically wow. it's like a war. There'll be one group um, that's wants to take over another group's um, routes and they'll fight over it. And there's guns and there's shooting and there's killings and there's family wars, there's kidnapping. So and this thing is real. It actually happens in real life, and we just took it and just yeah put it in the story. But it actually happens. It's it's crazy. Wow. The taxi wars that happen in South Africa. And this is a daily television show. Yes, this every sounds... day, Monday to Friday. And you were saying before we turned, I said, "Do you like being an actress?" And you said, "And I I want you to quote yourself. Why do you love it?" I love it because I don't like being myself. 
I'd rather wake up in the morning and pretend to be somebody else. That's way more fun. When you pretend to be someone else, because I always say this is the difference because I act, but I kind of act like myself. When you do it, are you able to fully enter it? Like, are you able to forget that you're Jessica for a minute and just be this woman? Yes. For um, for me, I take acting as therapy because you know what? A lot can go on in our lives. You know, ups and downs, whatever, everything happens, anything happens. But then I can wake up with a headache. Jessica wakes up with a headache. Jessica wakes up and she's like, I do not want to be here. I don't want to live today. And then I get to set and I change into Gondi's clothes and she hardly wears makeup and she dresses terribly. (laughs) And then I'm like, well, that's Jessica gone. So great. I'm this girl, literally my, I don't know, maybe it's in my head, but my headaches go away. I forget for a while. And it's when at the end of the day, I have to take her clothes off. I'm like, crap. I'm still here. Why? Now I have to wait, wait for tomorrow morning to now go back into this therapeutic zone where I'm just someone else. I deal with her problems and her problems aren't real. So it's great. No. And her problems are the problems of a queen. Yeah, with, with millions and millions of friends. And you studied law before you came to acting. Yes. Talk to us about what led you away from it, but how did it inform what you do now? Well, I'm going to be honest. Well, I was going to give you the answer that I rehearsed. But, you know, no, um, Laura, I just thought I'd need to follow my heart and do drama. Listen, I hated it and I failed it. <laughs> okay. Um, first year, I, I, I did well. You know, I was like, yes, I'm so focused. Yes. Second year, dismal fail. So I was just like, okay, what am I going to do? And I had to not tell my mom. And say, I I hate law and I don't understand it. And I feel like I wrote my exam at the end of the year. And I I feel like I wasn't there in class the whole year. And everyone was reciting these cases. And I'm like, when did you learn that? Was I there? And they're like, yeah, you were here the whole year. And I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. (laughs) So maybe I just didn't have a mind for it. So then I, I told my mom, I'm like, well, I like pretending I'm somebody else when I'm chilling in my room. I, I pretend to be characters in movies. I like that. And she's like, are you insane? You can't now want to change your whole entire life. Be a lawyer. Then you're guaranteed. You know how the safe route. Yeah. So, yeah, I, th- that was the basis of it. I didn't do well and I hated it. And I thought, I like pretending to be other people and I'm alone in my room. Let's see if I can do it in front of people. But then the ironic thing is that law sounds like it's the way to change people's lives. And you've actually found a way to be an advocate as an actor. As an actress. Like, I just feel like you can't be selfish. I have a platform. What What is amazing about being an actress is that you in the public eye. And even though I'm not my character, people assume, obviously, that I am my character. Whether we like it or not, people will call you by your character's name. Done. So I get that a lot. People screaming <laughs> Hannah in the street. Hannah, Hannah, I've seen your boobs. That's the worst one. <laughs> Hannah, I've seen your whole body. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. And what are the causes that have become so important to you that you advocate for in this new position of, I mean, for the people who don't understand, she's one of the most recognizable people in South Africa. She's can't walk down the street without people (laughs) shrieking at her. So what are the things that you've taken on as your cause now that this is the position you're in? The biggest one for me was bringing recognition to cancer. Um, I lost my father to cancer. And then I just have a natural love for kids. 
I love children. And I think maybe that's the same thing again. I get it from my father. So um, with my dad suffering so much from cancer at such an old age, he was in his late 40s, and for it to just crush him like that, I thought, oh, my word, there are kids that are one that have cancer. So if there's a way that I can bring some sort of recognition for parents to check their kids at an early age. Do you feel like in talking about cancer awareness, you've had to face sort of entrenched old school ideas about health that people have? Like you've had to bring in new awareness to people in communities that are not educated about it? definitely. And the biggest thing, obviously, is that some parts of South Africa aren't educated enough. So they literally, when a child is sick, they think the next door neighbor that hates them did something. Did some kind of curse. Yes, curse, witchcraft. So it's it's just like, sometimes really, it's not that. Just take your daughter to a clinic. Yeah. So it's it's also removing that mindset, telling them that really we know, yes, the, the world is a big, bad world. But when your child is sick, why don't you just take them to the clinic first as well yeah. to check to have a whole scan. So it's just, it's raising that awareness because there's a whole section of children that are dying on a daily basis. The The, the percentage was crazy. And still today, it's still bad. It's it's an ongoing battle. Like 50% of kids die. And you're just like, oh, yeah. just come to the clinic and everything will be okay. So it's an ongoing battle. We still haven't conquered it. We're far, but we're getting somewhere. Do you feel there's a group of people that as your character, you're representing them and you have a responsibility to them? What do you think about your sort of responsibility to your fans, to your country, to your culture? Um, I feel like more than a character, I mean, I don't have a say in what my character does. So I think it's me that has to now come out. I have to be basically the anchor of my own life. I have to make sure that I succeed. I have to make sure that I break the mold. I have to make sure that I'm, I follow my dream, that I, I, I go way beyond than what I even thought I could. I have to face my fears. And that way, showing others that that's what you should do is as scary as that is. But that's the responsibility that comes with being on TV. Um, I can't be comfortable and say, no, I'm just happy playing this one character and this is what I want to do and I'll just live a normal life. No, you have bigger dreams. You have that 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 secret dream that you have in your mind that you're scared to tell everyone else because you think they're going to laugh at you. No, that's what you should go for because then you'll be laughing last because then it's going to happen. You know, I'm a strong believer in what you say will be. You have this like, remarkable, I mean, you brim with confidence and energy. And I wonder, has that always been you? Was there a moment where you became someone who felt like their voice mattered? Or has do you remember a moment when you felt less confident than you do now? Um, of course. Um, I don't know if I'm confident. Maybe I'll come across that way. But I'm so scared. Like, life is so scary. Like, you have to wake up every morning. I'm going to cry. Mm. Like, you have to wake up and sort of... Brace yourself and go, all right, you have to make something of yourself. I mean, it's so difficult. It's so hard. I know. <laughs> it's so hard. But, um, and, I, and I don't think I'm confident. Like, I'm just like, I'm just a girl trying. But I, I think with me realizing the power of me being confident in myself and, and saying things without second guessing myself and trying to push fear 
out. And I am a praying person. You know, I, I'll wake up in the morning and I'm like, all right, this is who I am. I, I declare it over my life. Let me go out and and be great. Let me go out and, and inspire. Let me go out and be someone different. And it maybe it was this industry that I'm in that gave me thick skin. Because, I mean, when I was in primary school, I'd literally be teased for having a sharper nose than, than a regular black person. I mean, black people have like flat noses in KZN and they'd laugh at me for having a sharp nose and I've always wanted a flat one. So I've been very conscious of my look and I'd be like, I always would hide my face halfway just to hide my nose so that nobody sees it because then they think I'm weird. And then I have a different voice from a regular girl. I mean, most girls, I have a squeaky voice. Mine is husky and deep. And people laugh at me for that. I'm just like, well, how can I change it? Then I realized, you know what? When I started doing drama, my voice benefited me because the others had to literally speak from their tummy to get their squeaky voices out. I just stand there and I do this and you can hear my voice at the back of the theater. And I'm like, well... You know what? Screw you. You guys have been laughing at me all my life for having the voice that I do when actually it was created perfectly for me because God knew that I was going to be an actress and I need this type of voice in order to do theater. So the jokes are new. So I just realized that, you know what? We all created perfectly the way we are for what we meant to be and what we meant to do. You know, you have the hair that you have. It's going to be to benefit you some way. You have the voice that you have. It will help. You have the teeth that you have. It's for as you grow up, you will see the use of them. Don't change it. You don't have to. That is the greatest message, like for everyone who's listening. (laughs) The message of like everything in you was put there for a reason. And what you're describing of going out and being brave every day when you don't feel brave is in a way the bravest thing in the world. Is it? Oh, well, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen... That was Jessica Nkosi. Thank you so much. That is a difference maker in the flesh. I hate to break up a hot and banging party, but we're going out on a high note. Our final segment today is a roundtable, including all the incredible women we spoke to today, plus the incomparable Jane Lauder, where we'll be talking about activism, acting, and how our pasts shape and motivate us. It's a segment I'll be listening to later in the shower to pretend that my everyday life is always this cool. So it's an honor to be finishing off this special episode of Women of the Hour with the Women of the Hour. I have spent my beautiful Sunday with some incredible actresses and activists, Gina Rodriguez, Erendira Ibarra, been working hard on that, (laughs) and Jessica Nkosi. Oh, yes. (laughs) You got it. And now we have the privilege of being joined by Jane Lauder, the woman behind this beautiful campaign. What is your exact title at Clinique, if you don't mind telling it to our listeners? Okay, I'm the global brand president of Clinique. Ow! I know. Yes! (laughs) Sounds so good. So something that really came out in the conversations we had today, a theme that I felt was the idea of authenticity and beauty being something that comes from authenticity. And I wondered how you might talk to young women. We'll start with Gina about that idea of authenticity and how to exist in your life in a way that feels honest to you while still allowing you to feel powerful and beautiful. Beauty looks different for everyone. There is no definition of beauty. And I do believe it starts from your character. And we're never taught to work on our character. We're never taught tools to work on our character. 
And as much as we want to relate to a group or a community and not feel alone, the greatest thing is, is to own that power alone and to know that there is strength in being full, confident, and loving oneself alone. Because then guess what? You fit in every community. As I said, I, I'm, I'm a work in progress. And I think what Gina says is right. Authenticity is is the process of finding your voice. It's not just knowing yourself, looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, this is me and I, yeah. and I know who I am. I know what I do. No, it's it's accepting yourself and your vulnerability. It's a roller coaster more like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And once you embrace the roller coaster and once you hold on tight, I think that's where beauty comes from. Jane, you know, you... There's so much that you could do sort of with your company and with Clinique, and you've obviously have grown up in and around the cosmetics industry. How do you sort of think about this issue of authenticity as you're dealing in an industry that has the power to really impact women in a way that's both positive and negative? I think um, it's a really good question because I think so much about what, when I think of a woman as being beautiful, is when she's confident. Sometimes, you know, I get most excited when we get letters from um, customers who said, you know, I had terrible skin and then I started using the acne products and now I'm president of my class. And those are the types of moments that I share with my whole team because I'm I'm not, you're not selling cosmetic. You know, lipstick's not just a lipstick. It's a confident smile. And so making people feel good is um, an important part of what we do. So in terms of the Difference Makers mm-hmm. campaign, how did you sort of strike on the idea that you wanted the idea of social justice and the idea of activism to be a part of a beauty campaign? Because, you know, we're, we're living in this moment in culture where people want to kind of commodify feminism. And so there is this sense that, like, every beauty campaign is like, it's what's on the inside mm-hmm. that counts. But no one's actually doing very much to back that up. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's a formula that people mm-hmm. want to use because they know women are attracted to these ideas, but they don't actually want to engage with people who are community leaders the way that these women are. So how did you think about doing this sort of this action-oriented campaign? Well, I think one of the things that's most important about giving back is that so many women are intimidated. They feel like they're not going to be able to do as much or make such an impact or how can I do that? And so we said, you know, we wanted it to be about letting women feel comfortable that whatever they do makes a significant change. And that's really how we wanted to be able to approach this because it can be overwhelming. And the same thing with, you know, beauty, one small change making a big difference. And isn't it nice? I was thinking how happy I was that the three of you are part of a campaign that's about beauty, but you've all been selected for a totally other reason. It's not it's the like, best in the world. <laughs> it's so great because it's like no one is here because like they're, they had like perfect blue eyes. It was a different... Never. Well, they're no. all extremely beautiful. <laughs> they are. <laughs> I mean, I'm not leaving aside the coincidence that they're all gorgeous, but, <laughs> but that's an amazing thing to be involved in something that's about more. I feel like we live in a world where it wasn't cool to help people. And I don't know what it was about Difference Maker. For me, I think it made it cool to be a Difference Maker. It made it cool to be, to give and to think of other people before yourself while on my platforms. It was just like maybe a domino effect because other people now you see they, they want to do a difference. They're like, yeah, well, um, I took this kid to school. I'm like, great. That's do so that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I think the important thing is that you can be all of these things. And I think that was the idea of this Difference Maker. You don't have to be only about giving back or only about posting a picture of a great outfit. It's both because women are so we multidimensional. Women. And you yeah. can have all of that. And that's what I think is great. I mean, for me, cosmetics is it's a business and it's also enjoyable and it allows us to give back to communities. And that, that's something that you should be celebrating all around. Yeah, it's beauty with a purpose. Mm-hmm. 
Ladies, this was such a joy. I feel so lucky to be doing this. And thank you so much to Jane Lauder and to Clinique for gathering us yeah, all in one you. place. Thank you. <laughs> thank you all. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. You're all amazing. Thank you so much to Clinique for making this episode happen, as well as our incredible guests, Gina Rodriguez, Erendira Ibarra, and Jessica Nkosi. I can't wait for the vacation that we all take together. Thank you to Art19 for making this possible. We recorded this at CDM Studios, the home of the dashing Charles de Montebello. Music by the one and only Andrew Dost, a.k.a. The Dost Man. Thank you to my wonderful creative partners at Pineapple Street Media, Jenna Weisberman and Max Linsky. We'll be back with season two of Women of the Hour in a couple of months. Bye.